Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, February 28th, we are studying Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. The question that's been in the background of St. Matthew's gospel in the last several chapters is this, who is Jesus? In today's text, the Lord himself asks his disciples to answer that question, and Peter speaks up with the God-given truth, even if he doesn't fully realize the implications. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Brian Flammy. Pastor Flammy serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Pastor Flammy, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, Pastor Apple, it's great to be here. Pastor Flamey, as we get started this morning, give us some context here in Matthew's Gospel. Where are we picking up today? Well, like you were saying, this is a, that's a great way to set it up, is to say that the question is, who is Jesus? Um, what can we say about him? And we know that this uh, follows, especially on the heels of, of John the Baptist's beheading. And then we have the two accounts of the feedings. And in, in what those feedings are important for us, that they show that every good gift that comes from God is now coming through Jesus's hands. And so the, all these multitudes are following Jesus. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come to Jesus and say, well, show us more signs. It's not enough what you've sh shown us. We, we're not yet convinced. And, and, then, uh, uh, and, and so now Jesus uh, takes this opportunity to ask the disciples, how do you confess me? Uh, from what you have seen, and then being wary of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what do you say? Uh, or, or rather, he starts off like, doesn't he say, like, what, do, what does everybody else say about me? Um, and there you have the answer. Well, John the Baptist. I, I don't know what that means other than maybe some of the folks didn't quite believe. They thought it was fake news that Herod had captured John the Baptist and, and he died for Herodias' sake. Uh, or uh, the other uh, answers to come are Elijah to come. So the folks had Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 in the back of their heads that the Lord promised that uh, Elijah would come again before that great and glorious day of the Lord. And then Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I think what that means is that the folks are, are, are seeing in Christ, and rightly, if this is the case, that the prophets have come, that this time of fasting uh, from the, the word of the Lord being given directly to the, the time and the situations of the people of Israel, that fast has ended, and it's ended in Jesus. But, of course, what they probably don't see when they answer the question that way uh, is that is, he isn't just a prophet, but rather the prophet of Deuteronomy chapter 18, the prophet uh, uh, who fulfills the prophetic office uh, from which all of the other prophets receive their word. It comes from Christ. And so, uh, so that's, how, that's how it sets up here at the very beginning. You hear what the, what the people think. Um, but as you can see, you don't see much here concerning Jesus' divinity. Uh, that is something that is as yet hidden from the crowds. And also uh, Christ's office, I'm sorry, uh, Jesus' office as, as Christ. It's something that's not quite uh, clear to them yet either. Let's go ahead and, and read this text, Pastor Flamey. It's a, a long text. There's plenty to look at this morning. So again, we're yeah. in Matthew chapter 16, uh, beginning at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. There's the text for today, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. So Pastor Flamey, you were setting us up there at the beginning with that initial question, who do people mm. say that the Son of Man is? What about that title that Jesus uses for himself there, the Son of Man? The Son of Man is uh, a messianic title that Jesus uses frequently in, in referring to himself, and we see it especially in the book of Daniel, you know, where the Son of Man is the one, uh, one like the Son of Man, is the one who uh, ascends to heaven and is given great honor and glory. Uh, it's also been said by the old Lutherans that this is Christ referring to himself, but especially emphasizing the, the human nature. So the Son of Man is the, is the one who is born of Mary, <laughs> that, that he, uh, he speaks of himself in this way, almost to help demarcate the time of his humiliation, where he refers to himself as the Son of Man, Versus the time of the exaltation when he is clearly Lord. Uh, and that's from probably Easter onward. Uh, but that's just my thought about that. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> well, I mean, Jesus refers to himself as this. And I, I don't know, yeah. maybe, maybe you know. I don't think any, does anybody else ever refer to Jesus as the Son of Man? Or is that his specific title for himself? Nobody, nobody asks him, are you the Son of Man? They'll ask him, are you the Son of God? They'll ask him, are right. you Christ? But I think Jesus right. is the one to choose this title for himself. That's right. Yeah, no, no, that's absolutely right. So like I said, Christ is uh, using this title to refer to himself. Uh, it's, again, familiar uh, with the, the late apocalyptic literature like that where we find Daniel. Uh, but it's also something that emphasizes his sonship from men, which is how the folks saw him. Now, the signs that he gives and the word that he preaches testify to something in addition uh, to, uh, you know, his human nature. Uh, but right now, if you just saw Jesus walking down the street, that's, that's all you could see. That's, yeah. So uh, I don't know. I can't say that I've ever heard of anyone call him the son of man. That is always, you're right. I think you're right. It's always Jesus's abolition for himself. Well, and, and maybe, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard this, and I'm, I'm not sure if I, I, I think I like it, but, but Jesus maybe uses this term for himself as almost mm. an ambiguous way of referring to himself so he doesn't stir up trouble too quickly. Um, you know, I mean, if he goes around calling himself, I'm the son of, well, and of course I know he, he does say that he is the son of God. He very clearly claims to be God throughout right. his ministry. But, but making use of this title is less... Uh, what's abrasive? That's that's not quite the right word, but it, it's less con confrontational, maybe. Um, and, I don't, and so he. I don't know if I. Don't I, know. I, I I hear you, but I don't think I agree with it. And the reason why would be the final verse of this chapter that we're going to look at. Mm. Uh, and the reason why is because, I mean, if, if we're worried about offending people, and the Son of Man is an innocuous term, well, Jesus invests this term that he uses for himself with. <laughs> with divinity, with judgment and power. And so, it, so he says, certainly I tell you, there, will, there are some standing here who will no way taste the son of death until they see the son of man come, coming in his kingdom. So whatever you say about the son of man, he has a heavenly kingdom. He has heavenly judgment. Uh, it goes beyond, uh, uh, I suppose, the, the possibility of avoiding offense hmm. because, of every, because if you're paying attention to Christ, 
uh, uh, then you can't come to any other conclusion but that he is God in the flesh. And that is, in fact, the the scandal of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everybody else who who, uh, sets their hearts against him. They realize what he's saying, and they hate him for it. Right, right. So that when when Jesus asks the question, then who do people say the Son of Man is? He's he's looking for something mm. beyond the humanity that he's shown them, right? I mean, is that is that kind of what we're we're driving at here? That that the answers that they give are incomplete because they haven't recognized the divinity of the Son of Man who stands before them. Yeah, his person, his true person and office. So if you, ta- if you parse the term the Son of Man, uh, you can see it like its usage in the book of Daniel. Uh, if you parse the very words themselves, they're not all that revealing. What is revealing is when you, you hear Christ and you believe him. Uh, and that's where everything gains great clarity. And, and, the, and you have to see that the crowds, they come to Jesus for different reasons. Uh, they come for healing. They come for bread. And they do come for the teaching, Right. But they, don't, they haven't seen everything as in context as the rest of the apostles. And so, so even though they see that there is something from God, and this kind of reminds me of Nicodemus, you know, he, he came to Christ and we say that, look, we know that you're from God because no one can do the signs that you do unless God was with him, right? And so this is the way the people also see him, is that he's flesh and blood, but that maybe God is working through him. Well, Seeing everything in context up to this point, the disciples now are able to say more than what the crowds are able to say and Jesus' opponents are able to say. And I think that that's why Jesus is setting this up. He is, uh, in the central chapter of Matthew, going to lay the foundation, uh, the foundation that he promised at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, uh, the rock of his word and the confession of his word. And faith in his word. All of it is, is there. And uh, that's why this chapter is so wonderful. So, so Jesus hears the answer from the, from the apostles about what's out there. But then he turns yes. the question to them. Who do you say that I am? And that, that you is, is plural. I think we should we'd probably point that out. You, plural, who do all of y'all say that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up with a fantastic answer. Take us into that, Pastor Fleming. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, and that is the foundation. That is the, uh, the real thing right there. Everything that you can say in the New Testament can be summarized by this sentence. And by unfolding this sentence, you get the entirety of the New Testament. It's, it's beautiful. So Christ refers to uh, Jesus's office. That is, what is his work? And it is the office of the Messiah, the eternal Davidic king, especially the the king promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7 to David. When uh, the Lord said to David, you want to build me a house, but I will build you a house and your seed will sit on your throne eternally. And then the promise of the mess of of that, the eternal Davidic king continues to gain uh, uh, importance in the preaching of, uh, uh, of Israel, all the way up until the coming of Christ himself. Uh, so that, and this is one of my favorite verses from the Old Testament, to kind of draw everything together. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 23, uh, the Lord says, I will set up one shepherd, David. You know, and so, and, and so that helps you to understand that the the Christ, the anointed one, is also the one who's going to be the shepherd of the people of Israel. Uh, All of these images that we see Jesus using in the New Testament to preach concerning himself, all of these images come from the Old Testament. And Jesus is is saying all of of the promises about the one shepherd, about the the eternal Davidic king, all the promises concerning even the prophets, right? Uh, All of this is fulfilled in me. That's what it means to be the Christ. So that's Jesus's office. Now we also speak about his person, his identity. So like we said before, Jesus calls himself the son of man, emphasizing his birth from the the Virgin Mary, uh, his human nature, his flesh and blood, how people see him with their eyes. 
But now, because Peter has listened to Christ, uh, because he has gained the spiritual, uh, uh, how, how would you call this, enlightenment and wisdom that comes from heaven, he says, you are the Son of God, the Son of God. Now, this means that not only do you have an origin from men, you have your origin from God. Uh, that in the same way as you have inherited from men a body and a soul uh, uh, and a place on this earth, from God, you have inherited your nature and you, and you are an heir of heaven. You are the true son of God. Uh, so he's speaking about not just a partial divine nature, but a full divine nature. One of the things that I like to, to mention to people when they hear the term the son of God is to not make less of it than it is. Because everything that belongs to the children belongs uh, first to the parents, and they receive everything from the parents. So everything I have as a dad belongs to my sons, you know. And so if Christ is the Son of God, that everything that belongs to the Father, his eternal nature, power, glory, all of this also belongs to the Son. Uh, and also when, when uh, uh, Peter calls uh, God the living God, uh, the living God. This is a, a special term that was used in the Old Testament to refer to Yahweh in distinction uh, to all of the false gods of the Gentiles, right? Uh, what does this distinction mean? It means that the false gods of the Gentiles are lifeless idols, <laughs> images of stone, uh, images that cannot give life themselves because they don't even possess it. Uh, but uh, 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 sorry, I got a kid yelling at me through the door. <laughs> uh, but, but the living God, the living God of the Old Testament, he's the one who, who, who has created all things, uh, who sustains all things, and gives life to all things. Uh, so the, the Lord worshipped by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is also uh, the Lord that has now come into the flesh uh, in, in Jesus. So, so to, to dwell on the second half of, of what Peter says there, the son of the living God, mm. then, by, by naming Jesus the son of the living God, Peter is not saying that Jesus is somehow less than the Father, but is in fact confessing his full divinity along with the Father. Is that, is that what you're saying there, Pastor Flamey? Absolutely. And I would say that pertains to every single time we see the term son of God. Uh, except when, of course, it refers to the, the Christians who are made uh, uh, sons and daughters of God by adoption, right? Uh, our, our natures remain as they are, but we do gain a heavenly inheritance, even, even so great that we can't even begin to really understand it. Nevertheless, our natures remain human. The scriptures are not confused about that. But when it refers to the one Son of God, uh, it is always... The, uh, uh, the second person of the Trinity, who has every single, uh, every single thing that belongs to divinity. You know, he is eternal. Uh, he is uh, powerful. He has glory. He has honor. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to the Son. And thanks be to God that through the Son, God, uh, God gives us uh, uh, the honor, glory, and uh, the redemption of, of our Christian salvation. At the very beginning of that, we're, we're talking about Peter's confession here. I think you said everything in the New Testament is is summarized in this statement. How how is this a summary of of the entirety of the New Testament? The entirety of the New Testament is Christ <laughs> from the very beginning to the very end. Right. So this is why the Gospels set up with the, with, uh, or at least Matthew and and Luke are set up with the birth narratives. Um, and then uh, with the other Gospels, like Mark and John, it's set up with John preaching the coming of Christ. Uh, look, the New Testament isn't about spiritual generalities. Uh, it's about God becoming flesh. And by becoming flesh in the person of Christ, how he has redeemed us from sin and death and from our blindness in sin and death to who God is and how much love he has for us. Uh, if we take out that, that one central sentence that the New Testament is about Christ, the Son of the living God, we will be blind to what's going on in the New Testament. Uh, I will, we will be blind to, 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 to be able to understand what, who Jesus is and what's going on here. 
Uh, at best, you could see that Jesus is like an honored person of some sort, right? If not a miracle worker. But when, but when you understand that he is the Messiah, uh, that he is the king, and uh, not only the king, but the king who, who comes to redeem and to save as opposed to, to conquer by force of arms, then the whole New Testament begins to open up as a book of grace and comfort. Whereas before, I mean, I don't even know. I, I mean, you, you, you know that, that it's true that people read through the New Testament all the time without really seeing what's there. Uh, which is why we give thanks to God that as part of our baptismal inheritance, right? And part of the inheritance that we've received as little children is that our parents have always taught us about who, that Jesus, understanding who he is and what he does for us, opens up not only the New Testament, but of course the, the entirety of the scriptures. And, and would you say the Old Testament is summarized in this as well, Pastor Fleming? How does the Old oh, Testament yeah. relate? Definitely. Oh, yeah. That's why I said the entirety of the scriptures. Ah, very uh, good. Be, because... And, and this is the, the wonderful thing. Like the, the disciples, they're, they're following, they're, you know, they're godly men. They went to synagogue. They went to the temple to, to make sacrifice according to the law of Moses. And then, so they heard the scriptures preached and expounded upon. Uh, but at the same time, it's not until Christ opens their minds to understand the Holy Scriptures, that, that is to help them to see it in the context of his death and his resurrection that the scriptures take on their full impact, power, and meaning. And I'm not just, and of course, we're not talking about the New Testament there. We're talking about the Old Testament. And so now the disciples, and this is the special gift of like preaching in Acts. Now the disciples are preaching on the Old Testament as what it truly is. And that is a Christ-centered book that preaches the office of Jesus as Redeemer, right? And Savior of the world. It also preaches the identity of Jesus as being, you know, the, the one who is born of woman without the assistance of a man. He comes from God. He is God, which has always been there from the very beginning. Uh, we've been going through Genesis chapter 3 last week with the ladies in my Bible study. And, and in the same way as this might be called like a foundation verse for the entirety of the New Testament here in Matthew, I think Genesis 3.15 would be the foundation verse of the Old Testament. And really... They are the same. <laughs> Think about that. They're the same. So the, uh, so the Lord curses Satan and says uh, that his head will be crushed by the seed of the woman, right? And here, this is the same thing, that in saying that Jesus is the Christ, that means that he is the devil crusher, right? And by saying that the son, you are the son of the living God, that means that you are, the, in fact, the seed appearing in the flesh but not from man, but the Son of God. It's great. Right, yeah, that's wonderful. Matthew 16, 16 equals Genesis 3, 15. I, that, that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful connection, Pastor Flaming. And, and what, what's incredible about Peter saying this at this moment is that just in the very previous text, the disciples were... <laughs> confused is, is maybe an understatement. They didn't, they didn't get it at all. They were wondering about bread just a moment ago. And now all of a sudden, here's Peter with this glorious confession that summarizes the proclamation of the entirety of the Holy Scriptures. And, and so Jesus says, you know, he gives him a beatitude, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. And, and he reminds Peter, where does this confession come from? Pastor Flaming, take us in. Right. There. Well, yeah, I mean, this does tie in directly with Jesus's admonition about beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is what? To see everything in earthly terms, right? To, to refuse to receive from God any good thing. <laughs> because they're too busy justifying themselves before men. Uh, and so instead of worrying about bread, the disciples should have been trusting in, in their Savior wherever he leads. If he's leading straight into the middle of the desert and you don't have any water or bread, don't worry. You're with Jesus. <laughs> That's why Jesus says, don't you remember the feedings? Don't, ex don't see me or the church or yourselves according to earthly standards. You have to see everything according to me, right? And so he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is don't see me with earthly eyes. Consider me and what I do and what I say according to, you know, the, the, the power that's being revealed there in the word. And I think this admonition probably went to Peter's heart. And so he's saying, that's right. I shouldn't think of Christ as, or I, I shouldn't think of Jesus 
as just this guy I've been following for a little while. And that's why uh, in, in meditating on the, on the words of Christ, you know, and, and mulling them over, uh, what is revealed to him through that word that he possesses in his heart, uh, what is revealed to him is, is Jesus' true identity, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it doesn't come through earthly means, right? Uh, it doesn't come through uh, uh, sort of an earthly style of deduction and, and inference. It's something that comes through the word alone. And the word is where uh, God is working in his power uh, to create and to enliven faith, right? Uh, usually we talk about that in terms of being the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who does this. And Jesus himself does speak about the Holy Spirit in that way, especially in his uh, preaching and teaching on Monday, Thursday night. But here Jesus says it's from the Father in heaven. That is, it's from the very, it's from the, uh, uh, from the Father. Uh, it's, it's, it's straight from God himself. Well, I, I think what, Jesus, what this should remind us of, at least, is that whenever we speak about the works of God outside of himself, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are always there working, Right. Uh, so, like, yeah, does the Holy Spirit reveal the gospel to me through the word? Of course. But are the Father and the Son therefore absent? Of course not, right? Uh, the Father revealing this to Peter, I, I, I think, emphasizes, and I'm not sure, you tell me what you think about this. Uh, I think it emphasizes that, that this is not like uh, uh, any sort of, like, bottom knowledge. It's not like, a, uh, it's not something that, that comes from the bottom uh, up, but rather straight from the top down, and it comes through the, the uh, through the word. But I don't know. I, I what do you think? I, I don't know if I have a really good answer to why the Father instead of like the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus has spoken this way previously, back in Matthew chapter eleven, when he's talking about mm-hmm. you know, Jesus gives thanks that that the Father has revealed this yeah, to the little right. children rather than the wise and understanding. And he speaks very similarly. And I think it, it emphasizes that, that all things were given to Jesus through from the Father, right? This is how he, he talks. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father yeah. except the Son. And any, I mean, so that, that connection, and I think that, that goes back to what we were saying concerning the, the divinity of Jesus, that when Peter names Jesus the Son of the living God, this is, this mm. is no, no different divine nature than the Father has as mm. well. And, and so that when Jesus comes and says, this has been revealed to you by my Father, and I, I like how you emphasize for us, through the Word, this isn't some sort of, you know, like uh, lightning bolt that hit Peter on the head, but this is the Word that Jesus has been preaching all along. Yeah. That was the Father doing his work. That's right. There is a, uh, uh, and the proper place of the Holy Spirit at this time is in Christ himself and his preaching. Uh, we saw that in the baptism. But I'm glad that you brought up uh, Matthew chapter 11. It helped me to remember, uh, because my brain isn't working as well as it probably should be today. It's helping, it helped me to remember the, the sort of economy of revelation, right? Uh, that, that revelation, as in the way that the New Testament speaks about it, is that the Father reveals himself through whom? Through the Son, right? And also, the Son is revealed to us through whom? Through the Holy Spirit. But at this time, before the ascension of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, right, it it would be right to say that that you had to go to Jesus uh, to have the Father revealed to you or for the Father to reveal himself to you, right? That is through the person of the Son and his word. Uh, so that's right. I mean, it, 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 considered in those terms, I think it makes a lot more sense, right? So Jesus is here on this earth to reveal that God is, is not just an abstract entity in the sky, but in fact, a heavenly father that loves you. And we know him as the father because he has sent the son, right? And the son reveals who the father is, and the father expresses himself always through the son. Even to the point when you remember when Philip says to Jesus, also on Monday, Thursday night, show us the Father. <laughs> and Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still don't understand who I am? I am your access always to the Father, right? I reveal the Father, not just partially, but perfectly. So if you want to know the heart of the Father, right, you, all you have to do is to see the Son. Thanks be to God in the flesh crucified, died, and risen for us.
You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Friday, February 28th. We're studying Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28 with Pastor Brian Flamey of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Pastor Flamey, we better keep moving if we're going to get through this text today. So so Jesus has, has said to Peter, this didn't come from flesh and blood. This came from my Father who is in heaven. And yeah. then you get these words, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And, and we, we probably should talk about... Well, who's Jesus talking to? Is he talking to Peter alone? Is he talking to the apostles? What's the rock? Take us into to Jesus' words here. Yeah, okay. So he says, I tell you that you are Peter. Uh, you, you, we have to see here in verse 18 that the to you, uh, or, or, that, or, or rather you, is, is in the singular. So he is speaking to the man Peter. Uh, and then he, we have to also notice the the, uh, the, the significance of the name change, that it, before he was what? Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Now, because of his uh, beautiful confession of who Jesus is, uh, Jesus, <laughs> as he has done in the past to other patriarchs, changes Peter's name uh, uh, to reflect the beauty of what he has just said. And then he says, you are Peter, all right, so that's his new name. Uh, and then he says, on this rock, and he, and there uh, the word Petra is used, um, is, is probably, you have to ask yourself the question, well, is he talking about Peter? Is Peter the rock? Or is the rock something else? Because whatever the rock is, that's what Jesus is going to build his church on. So Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell. Uh, will not overcome it or prevail against it, right? Um, And so this has been taken by our Roman opponents to be the enthronement verse for the Bishop of Rome. Uh, That Peter, of course, his uh, Episcopal see was in Rome, and uh, his heirs, uh, the ones who succeeded him in Rome, uh, were thought to be uh, the, the ones who had the central rock office of the church uh, from which uh, authority and also uh, 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 not just authority, but like the authority to wield the keys, which is going to come up, comes, you know. Uh, and, and, and so the, the Roman opponents said to the Lutherans, especially when we, after the Reformation, we started raising up our own pastors. You can't do that because you're no longer part of the church. Unless you get your pastors from us, they're not actually pastors, right? Uh, Well, again, uh, Peter's name is changed, not because of the quality of his person, but because of the beauty of the message revealed from heaven. That's what makes him the rock. (laughs) It's a gift from God. It has nothing to do with with his uh, fallen, sinful human nature. And when we re- hear the name Peter, we should remember the, the words that he said, the beautiful words from heaven. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so when Jesus talks about, and on this rock, uh, we say that this rock is not, in fact, Peter the man, the flesh and blood, the sinner, but rather the rock of his confession, uh, that, he is, that, that, Christ, uh, that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God. So if, if 
Jesus is using you singular here, though, Pastor Flammy, that he said, yeah. I tell you, you singular, you are Peter, then then mm. what? where else would we look to say, well, no, the you here, this is, this is more than just Peter. Yeah, that's right. So I love leading questions. <laughs> and, and the <laughs> I'm two trying to throw obvious the softball, places, right? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so the first place would be just a little bit later. Uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus again uh, talks about the office of the keys. And there, instead of, and so this is where the, the singular really becomes scandalized, uh, scandaling, uh, or scandaling, is that a word? Where, where the singular use of you becomes scandalous is in verses 19 and following, because there Jesus seems to be speaking about the keys belonging to Uh, Peter alone, but instead he's speaking to him as a representative of the whole group of the apostles. We know that because in in Matthew chapter 18, uh, that when he says that you have the keys of the kingdom, it's it's for all the, it's for all the, uh, it's you in the plural. And again, in, in, uh, let's say, John chapter 20, uh, where Jesus comes and, and appears to the apostles after his resurrection. Uh, he says, uh, uh, let's see, I, I want to get it right. Uh, John chapter 20, here we are. Yes. Uh, Jesus says, uh, 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 23, here we are. Yes, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And there the you is spoken to you in the plural, right? So we have two parallel passages in the New Testament uh, where the you is in the plural, whereas here it's in the singular. And uh, using the biblical principle of interpretation, (laughs) that we always read the Holy Scriptures in context with the other clear passages of the Holy Scripture, uh, we would have to say that that it's clear that Jesus is not giving... Uh, the office of the keys to Peter alone, but rather to the whole church, and especially to use to the apostles and those who would come after them, that is, to the pastoral office. Uh, uh, the, the, and if we try to, uh, to if, we, if we took it as a serious thesis that Peter's the only guy who could do that, we'd be hard-pressed in the Holy Scriptures to make that work, right? Uh, it's not like Peter says at the beginning of Acts, I have all the authority that Jesus gave it to me alone, and now I'm going to grace you with a little bit of authority yourselves. That's never how it works. Uh, uh, Luther, I think it was, uh, points out that on the day of Pentecost, <laughs> when the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles, at least at, at least at the beginning, as it's happening, no special mention was made of Peter, but all the, the apostles were included as a whole, right? Now, Peter does act as a spokesman, uh, he, but he always acts as... It's a spokesman who speaks on behalf of all the apostles, those who are there with Christ and commanded by Christ to go out and to preach. But we have to remember also how much Peter's authority is worth when, when Paul had to, uh, well, uh, rebuke him <laughs> because of uh, how he had betrayed the gospel in, in Galatia, right? Uh, so there, you know, Peter saw the, the Pharisaical crowd coming. And instead of, you know, eating, you know, uh, pulled pork sandwiches with the Gentiles there, he, he put them away. It says, uh, it acted like he never stopped, uh, that, that, that he never stopped eating, you know, the Jewish foods. And that, of course, was a stumbling block to the, to the Galatians' faith. And Peter was opposed to his faith by Paul. And Paul had no problems doing that because uh, the authority that matters is the authority of the gospel, um, and the authority of the gospel is something that doesn't belong to flesh and blood, but it belongs to the entirety of the church, according to uh, Jesus' promises. And that's what happens here. Like, even though that Jesus speaks uh, singularly here to Peter, yet at the same time, the use of the keys and the blessing of the promises, especially about hell not prevailing against the church, uh, that's something that belongs to all of us, Right. Uh, and, and so, uh, does that make sense? It doesn't. It's, it's it's really even if we wanted to say that 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 Jesus is giving the keys only to Peter here, it would be extremely hard, if not impo- in fact, I do think it is impossible to reconcile it with uh, what happens just a couple of chapters later in Matthew, and again 
through the rest of the example of the New Testament, uh, that you see people preaching and teaching not under Peter's authority, but under the authority of Christ and the gospel. Agreed, agreed. When you when you look at those parallel passages, it does become very plain. As, as you said, we, we interpret Scripture together, and, and those very clear passages where we see the keys given not just to Peter, but to the church, it, it's very plain that, that Peter is not being set up as a pope here. So, so Pastor Flamey, what are the keys? What is this matter of binding and loosing that Jesus is talking about? Yeah, that's great. Uh, what is binding and loosing? Binding and loosing is what God's Word does among us in this world. Uh, uh, so the, this, is, this is amazing, that when, when Peter gives the true confession of Jesus' identity, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, by saying that, what has happened? He, there's this, this gulf of separation that now happens between Peter and the world, <laughs> right? And, and the world is now in some ways bound to their false confession that Jesus is an exalted man or merely a prophet or something like that. Whereas uh, uh, Peter now belongs to the Holy Christian Church through his confession and faith. Uh, and, and so wherever God's word is going to pre- be preached, it's going to create this division between uh, the, those who do not receive Jesus as the Christ and the Son of the living God and those who do. We also know, and thanks be to God for this, that, that the preaching of God's word is a matter of, of preaching concerning sin and the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith that, in fact, Peter here possesses. I want you to see, just for a moment, that when Peter confesses that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Peter's uh, honor and his glory and his exaltation from being Simon to Peter, that this has nothing to do with works. It has nothing to do uh, with anything that human nature can achieve. This is something that is of God, right? Uh, the, the very knowledge and the capacity to confess is a gift from God. It's, this is the gift of, of faith. Uh, and, 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 uh, and, and, the gospel, and the gospel is really what gives life to the church. So that when the church goes and preaches, uh, for everyone who, who, who desires to remain in sin, uh, the disciples and, and then la- the apostles and later on the pastors have been commanded by Christ to call sin what it is, that which leads to death. And to bind people to sin by saying that unless you turn and repent, right, which has been the content of John the Baptist preaching and Jesus' preaching up until this point, unless you turn from your sins and repent of them and receive the grace and the, and, and, uh, the mercy of God, then you are kept in your sins. We call that law preaching. But the gospel preaching is, of course, that God loves you. He has sent his son <laughs> uh, to die for you. And, and uh, will forgive your sins, and does forgive your sins, right? Even as the word is, is preached. So the binding and the loosing is, uh, that Jesus is talking about here is, I think, correctly and accurately uh, uh, expounded upon in, in our catechism, on the section on confession and absolution. Uh, the office of the keys is that special authority that God has given to his church on earth, right? Uh, to, uh, to loose sinners from the guilt of their sins, right? To set them free from the chains of God's judgment that hold them down. And how are they, and how are they unlocked from these chains? By, from these chains by the, the word of forgiveness. And not just forgiveness in an abstract sense, but the for blood-bought forgiveness, the blood-bought forgiveness of Christ himself. Now what's interesting is that Jesus gives the keys here, but the keys and how they will be used in the hands of the apostles isn't yet clearly seen until... Jesus' death and resurrection are fulfilled. After that point, as we go through the preaching of the book of Acts, as we read through the epistles of the apostles, there you can see them wielding that, the, the binding and the loosing key with great, uh, with great joy and fervor, right? Uh, so how does Peter address the people who are responsible for crucifying the Son of God? Uh, repent, uh, believe, the, uh, 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 to get Acts 2 right, I don't, uh, he says to repent, uh, to be baptized, and, and, into, and your sins will be forgiven, the promises for you and your children. Uh, that is, so there Peter is using for those people who have been stricken to the heart with the crucifixion of Christ and their sinfulness against Christ. Uh, there he un- uses the loosing key to set them free from guilt and shame. And the loosing key is, of course, the, the key of, uh, of forgiveness of sins administered through baptism, preaching, and even through the Lord's Supper. 
the death and resurrection of Jesus is is key to all of this, and that's where Jesus moves us on as as the text goes. So Peter's said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." Now Jesus has to tell Peter and the apostles what that means that he is the Christ, and it becomes apparent mm. that they don't understand what what as the text moves forward. Yes. Pastor Flammy, take us into that. Okay, so uh, th- this is my this is this is good for us to see this. Because even though we can confess correctly, right, that doesn't mean that we have absolute understanding. And and, and so this keeps us all humble and open to the Holy Scriptures. For any Christian who thinks that he has it all figured out, uh, the Lord's rebuke against Peter here is also a rebuke that we should take to drive us deeper into the preaching of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Uh, So once uh, uh, Jesus says, that the church is founded on the confession that you have made, Peter, and that also in the hands of the apostles, you will bind people in their sins and and also release people from the guilt of their sins, right? And so he talks about the preaching of law and gospel. Uh, Jesus goes on to explain, uh, uh, to unfold. He begins to unfold the statement that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, by talking about his death, that it's necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised up. Now, Peter has not yet freed himself (laughs) completely from the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And see, he he wants to see the Messiah, the, the great Davidic eternal king, in human terms. And so to hear that the that the Messiah has to die, that it's necessary for him to die, uh, Peter is taken aback. He's like, wait, wait a second. I mean, I, I, you have to admit, I know it all. I, I, I've thought about this myself, that, that what Peter does in trying to take Jesus aside is, it, is it probably on Peter's part, an act of love in some ways. He's trying to save his, his friend, his, his rabbi, uh, and his Lord from, un, from things that aren't necessary in his sight, according to his perception right but in doing so he betrays really how his heart continues to be set on the things of men and not on the things of god and and jesus uses the harshest terms possible to explain this to peter um then he says he says to peter get behind me satan (laughs) gets behind me you accuser this is the same satan that appeared to christ right to tempt him in the wilderness And here, Jesus sees Satan working through Peter to give a false false preaching of who the Christ is and what the Christ should do. Uh, Satan would love nothing more than uh, a Christ that becomes worldly, right? That takes up force of arms, that becomes another Alexander the Great, if not even greater, by taking over not just everything from, from Greece to India, but the whole entire world and subjected under this this uh, uh, worldly reign of power and might. Uh, the devil would like nothing more than that. Why? Because sinners are still in their sin, and they still belong to him in the fear of death. That's not what Christ wants. He wants the whole world, but he doesn't want it, by, uh, but he doesn't want it through violence. He wants it uh, through his own sacrifice that pays for the sins of all people, right? That is the perfect sacrificial price uh, to uh, uh, satisfy God's wrath against the world's sin. Um, in some ways, the devil, uh, so the devil sees that what God's, what God's uh, uh, desire is for the Christ has to be not what he wants, right? And so, for any, and so like uh, the, the temptations that come against Christ are always of a worldly nature, right? To trust in the things of this world as opposed to the, the, the will of his Father. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, uh, 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 let's see. Ah, here it is. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are a scandal to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Uh, by the way, even if we took a little bit earlier <laughs> the, 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 the verse about uh, 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 Peter being the only guy who is receiving the office of the keys, uh, here Peter is being excommunicated as Pope. <laughs> so that doesn't even work anyway. <laughs> Pastor um, Lamy, this is, I, this is what all I, really... What about good teachers? 
Yeah, one of my good teachers at the seminary said that once, and I thought that was brilliant. It's true. I mean, if, even if he receives everything, like uh, authority, power, the sole authority to wield the keys, here he he's nothing better than Satan himself, and he gets behind Christ. He's no longer in that position of authority. Because, again, the true authority isn't found in flesh and blood, right? The things of men. It's found in who God is and what he has revealed to us through his word. And with the word that is even now being revealed to to Peter and the rest of the apostles, that it's necessary for the Christ to suffer and to die. He can't do anything but. Uh, after that, pa- Pastor Flamey, uh, Christ, we, got, we got like oh, yeah. a minute left here, okay? Oh, you, this is yeah. all great stuff. So give us everything yeah. you got in this last minute. <laughs> okay, one minute left. When Jesus preaches the cross, the cross, his cross, his death for our sins, always comes with our own. Now, thanks be to God that Christ's cross alone was a death uh, to sin uh, and, and, and a death uh, because of sin, that all of God's wrath against all of our sins is poured out on his son on the cross. Nevertheless, as long as we belong to Christ and we're on this earth, what's necessary is that, we're, is that the, the world, is just in the same way as it hated Christ and hated the preaching of righteousness uh, through the cross, they're going to hate us as well. And Jesus says, be ready for that. If when you belong to me through baptism and faith, you will have your own cross to carry and you will follow me. Uh, and, uh, and whatever sufferings you receive in this life, re- know that you receive it because you belong to me and that the Father loves you. Instead of it being a mark of, of uh, something being wrong, this is now a mark of, of my heavenly Father's love. Now, this is a profound mystery. One that we don't have enough time to talk about, but one that deserves our, our careful attention. Whenever you suffer in this life, it's not because God is mad at you, but because you belong to Christ. And Christ, through those sufferings, is drawing us ever closer to himself and his word that alone gives life. Thanks be to God. Pastor Brian Flamy is the pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. I'm your host of Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.